Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. This morning we're going to be in the book of Colossians. So that's toward the back of your Bible. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. I remember that from General Electric Power Company. My wife remembers that from God Eats Popcorn. So if you need like a framework to remember those four books, hopefully you take more out of today than that. So Colossians is where we're going to be at today, chapter four. Currently, our church is working through a shorter, smaller series titled The Call. Typically, what we do is we pick a book of the Bible and we preach through that book of the Bible. That way we get the whole counsel of God's word, have a high view of scripture. And so we want to hear what scripture has to say, not man's opinion on everything. And so we pick a book of the Bible from time to time. We will do these short series like we're doing now to where we look at a specific topic. And now we're looking at the call and what we're focusing in on is what a Christian is called to. So we understand that a Christian is called from darkness to light from enemy to friend of God. But now what is a Christian called to in light of that? So if you're a new Christian, this is great for you to uh, focus in on what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. If you are someone who's been following Jesus for a while, this is a great reminder for you. And if you are investigating Christianity, welcome. We're honored to have you here. It's it's a great way to, to listen in and count and weigh the cost of what it is to see what a Christian is called to. In no way, shape or form does do we believe or preach a doctrine that anything that we do or our behavior earns us a right standing with God. We believe that a Christian is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And that's solely and completely the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf that merits, us, merits God's favor. In light of that, we believe that a Christian is filled with the spirit and called to live a certain way. So the past couple weeks, we've looked at a couple that a Christian is called to freedom in Christ. Last week, Ronnie preached a great message on a Christian is called to spiritual maturity. Today, we are going to look at that a Christian is called to prayer. A Christian is called to prayer. Again, we don't believe our behavior earns us a relationship or even maintains us a relationship, but we do believe that our responsibility that God has given us impacts our relationship with him and with others. And so it's really important to see exactly what Christians are called to. Today, it's a good reminder to be reminded that a Christian is called to pray. And if there's something I want you to walk away remembering today, it's that the called call. Three words, the called call. So in other words, the called, the chosen call upon God. The called call. Let's pray and we'll dive in. Fathers, I open your word not just this Sunday, but every Sunday, I pray there is a holy trembling that takes place inside of me. I pray that I would faithfully preach your word. I pray that uh, you would minimize my thoughts and my opinions and what you would bring to light is your word and what you have done, who you are and what you've finished on our behalf, Lord Jesus. I pray that you as our King, as our Lord, as our hero and as our savior would be exalted. I pray that uh, everything else the music, the lights, everything else would become small. And Lord, today you would be great as you are and lifted up and exalted in our hearts. We don't just need a talk. We don't need a uplifting message, Father. What we need is your word to pierce and penetrate our hearts. We need you to speak to us and we praise you. You've given us your word to do just that. So fill us with your spirit. Give us hearts that are open to receive. Get us ears that are open to hear. Give us eyes that see. 
This morning, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would make much of Jesus. Father, I know that there are many in here that uh, have, as Ronnie said, grown up with a father that has not exemplified what it is to be a good father. And we pray that right now you would minister to them, but you would show and reveal yourself to them powerfully, lovingly who you are. A good and perfect father. I know that we celebrate those in the room today that are good fathers, but I pray for every father in this room that what you would do is you would help us to be the best reflection of you, Christ Jesus, that our families get to see. We can't do this on our own. We fail miserably. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We need your spirit. Help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, uh, the called call. Years ago, I was invited to a campaign party. No reason why I would ever be invited to a campaign party, but uh, someone invited me and another friend to a campaign party. So I was living in Reno at this time, and they flew us down to go to their campaign party down in Vegas. And uh, upon going to this campaign party and realizing that it's not exactly the place that I feel like I fit in, what do you do if you know that you're probably not going to fit in somewhere is you try to dress the part or look the part. And so one thing that I did is I just made sure that I bought nice clothes or wore nice clothes to wear to this event. And so found myself at this campaign party, felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb, so did my buddy. And so while we were there, we decided that the clothing just wasn't going to do it. And so we needed to figure out uh, cooler jobs than the ones that we had. And so we were talking to a lot of people and a lot of people that were there that uh, they were lobbyists. And so we're like, maybe we should be lobbyists. There was just one problem. We didn't have a clue what a lobbyist was or what they did or anything about it. So we, we, we tossed around the ideas of doctors and everything like that. We were wannabe athletes and there were actual like major league baseball players and stuff like that inside of the room. And then one guy walks over to us and graciously tells us that, um, uh, introduces himself and it's like, you guys don't look like you totally fit in here. And so every, every fear or concern about what we already knew came to light that we did not fit in. And so in that moment, what I did though, is what many of us do is I put my trust in what I could wear. I put my trust in what I could do. I put my trust in success or anything like that. What I should have done is just said, I belong because that guy over there invited me here. You know, I, I, I am here because I was invited I belong because I was invited by the guy who's throwing this party. But many of us can feel that, and many of us can feel that tension, especially as we approach a book like Colossians or this letter, and in our lives. There's many things that we can try to do to make ourselves feel right with God, to make ourselves acceptable to God. I believe this just completely impacts our prayer lives. Just to give you a little bit of a backstory of what's going on in the book of Colossians real quick is that we have this letter that Paul has written to this church in Colossae. Colossae is is a city that uh, from what we can see that Paul's actually never traveled to and it's a church that he did not plant. And and he's uh, um, writing to and, and talking about the man who has planted this church. And we see that in chapter one. We also see that in chapter four. And this letter is carried by another man, not the man uh, Ephaphras who who planted this church by another man who's carrying the letter and is going to read this most likely to the church in Colossae. What's going on in Colossae? 
It, a lot, if you guys were here a couple weeks ago, that was going on in Galatians. There's people from the outside, Jude, uh, Judaizers and people saying that what you need to do in order to be a true Christian is you need to conform to certain religious patterns and you need to do these things. This is what's going to make you right with God. Jesus plus doing these things. There was also this very mystical, spiritual group of people that were coming in and, and they were saying that what you need to do is actually worship angels. And so all this is, is, is contrary to the gospel where, where we've already said that Jesus Christ has done enough, his work is finished, it's complete. Now they're saying that this is actually what you need to do. And, and, and Paul is writing to say, no, it's neither of those, it's Jesus only. And so that's where we find ourselves in this letter that Paul has written to this church that he loves, though he hasn't visited them. So we get to the tail end of the letter where we're at today in Colossians chapter 4. And we're going to look at verse 2, 3, and four, I am going to just tell you right now, I'm going to belabor these verses, especially verse two. Let's read it. Continue steadfastly in prayer. I believe we have a slide up here. We're going to go off that slide in just a minute. Instead of the ESV, I believe the NASB and the NIV provide a better translation here. Uh, the word devotion is what, it's, uh, what the NASB uses. He says this, continue steadfastly in prayer, or as the NASB says, devote yourselves to prayer. Then he says this, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. What's interesting is this, why would Paul urge people to be devoted to prayer? Why is Paul having to say, devote yourselves to prayer? Don't Christians naturally know just to pray? Why is Paul giving this urge and, and saying, uh, with steadfastness, I urge you to devote yourselves to prayer? The, the Greek word for devote here actually talks about might and power. And so this devotion looks more like a might and a sacrifice or a perseverance. So why would Paul say that? Why would he say, devote yourselves to prayer? Another good question is, what exactly is prayer? The Westminster Larger Catechism 178 answers that question for us. It, it says, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ by the help of his spirit with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. That's how the Westminster Catechism answers that. More simply, I'm going to say this, that prayer is calling upon God, calling upon God, calling upon God by talking to him, calling upon God, by praising him, by confessing, by communing, but ultimately calling upon God. Why else would Paul say this? Don't our Bibles have a big view of prayer? Don't, don't our Bibles make it clear that as a Christian we should value prayer? I would say absolutely. There are 650 prayers listed in the Bible. If you guys would like a list of those, I can, I can offer you that. There are roughly around 450 recorded answer prayers. The Bible records Jesus praying about 25 times, it talks about posture to, to, uh, to when we pray. The Bible gives types of prayers, and the Bible gives us an entire book filled with prayers known as the Psalms. This is not the only time Paul says something like this. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, he says, pray without ceasing. In Ephesians 6, when he's talking about the armor of God, he says to pray at all times. Roughly 40 times Paul mentions prayer. Jesus urges his disciples to pray, teaches them how to pray in Matthew 6, tells them to pray so they don't enter temptation in Luke 22. So yes, the Bible has a high view of prayer. So again, why does Paul say devote yourselves to prayer? Here's why. If we're being honest, prayer is really difficult. 
It's really difficult. Prayer is really hard. I, I, I wake up early on Sunday mornings and I woke up this morning to pray for like five minutes, I would guess. I don't even know what I was thinking about. I was everywhere else and I was thinking about so much random stuff to where I go, wait, where, where, where am I? Or what's going on right now, right? I don't do that typically in conversations with people and sit down at a wedding reception and forget that I'm talking to someone for five minutes. I don't do that from the pulpit for five minutes at a time. I fall asleep during prayer. If we were being honest, we could say many of us fall asleep during prayer. I don't do that from up here. I don't do that generally when I have conversations with people. Praying is difficult. Augustine said even the, even the straw underneath his knees cry out to distract him. Prayer is difficult, really difficult. And so Paul's first words in verse two, again, are devote yourselves to prayer. Notice what Paul doesn't say here. He doesn't say this, when your emotions drive you to feel like praying, then pray then. Paul does not say that. He doesn't say to let your emotions lead you. He uses a word that means sacrifice and perseverance. Devote yourselves to prayer. Sadly, the reality is, is that we struggle as people with devotion. We really struggle with devotion. And here's the sad truth, is that if we don't feel something when we do something, then we believe that's meaningless. And so if what we're doing is not accompanied with an emotion, then, then oftentimes, sadly, we can believe that that has no use or it's not as good. I see this oftentimes in marriage. Because what happens in marriage is I've heard people say, and I would urge and encourage you so much not to say this, please. But I've heard people say that uh, I've told my spouse not to do something for me because their heart wasn't in it when they were doing it. Please don't do that. Here's why. Because marriage requires sacrifice. Love requires sacrifice, commitment, and perseverance. And what we are called to do is love people even when we don't feel like it. And actually, I would say that's a better and more accurate picture of what love is because anyone can love someone or do something for someone when they feel like doing it. So we've confused that to make it love. And so what we do is we elevate in marriage that I only want my spouse to do something for me if they're really driven by their emotion. I would say no. Even when your spouse doesn't want to do anything for you, I would encourage them to do it. And in fact, I would have a transparency in your marriage to be able to say, yeah, I'm being honest with you. My, my heart's not in this, but I'm going to do it for you because I love you. And I'm going to walk faithfully with some devotion right now. It's not easy for us to do. I'm not saying that while you're dishes, while you're doing dishes, you should scream out from the other room that I'm solely doing this out of devotion right now, or I'm only changing diapers right now out of devotion and, and scream that so that your spouse knows clearly that everything you're doing, you completely don't like, and you're just doing it out of devotion. And in fact, I would say the text goes on to say in the second part of this verse that as we do things like this, that we need to be watchful that our heart does have an attitude of thanksgiving. But I would say that Paul is urging and urging and, 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 and commanding. He's saying devote yourselves because we aren't good at devotion and because prayer is difficult. Are you someone who believes that unless what you're doing has an emotion connected to it, that it's useless? I think that's a good question to ask. Do you tend to be someone who, if there isn't a feeling or an emotion connected to it, view something as less valuable? Because I think that you should wrestle with that big time. I'm not the only one that thinks that. John Calvin says this, joy and patience are far above our strength. We must persevere in prayer that he may not permit our hearts to faint. Prayer and perseverance are necessary in our daily conflicts. 
The best remedy to the weariness is diligence in prayer. That was Calvin. Luther said this, prayer unaccompanied by perseverance leads no result. That was Martin Luther. Why would he say something like that? Because if the only thing you understand is that I'm going to pray when my emotions lead me there, then you're probably not going to have a very good prayer life. And that's why Paul is saying that the called, the chosen ones of God, call on God with the prayer life of devotion. They pray with the devotion. They don't pray just when their emotions lead. I urge you, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. You could say, I'm devoted. And some of you might say that right now. I'm devoted. I wake up at like 4 a.m. to go to the gym. I'm devoted. I've watched entire Netflix series in one weekend. I'm devoted. But here's the reality. Oftentimes we're devoted to those things because emotionally those things make us feel good about ourselves or they provide something for that that we can feel good about ourselves in that moment, right? So you're not mustering strength to be devoted to go and get a pedicure, ladies, right? Like you just want to do that. And men, you're not mustering strength to eat a good steak or have a milkshake or donut. You can, you, you can just do that. That comes naturally. Paul is calling for something here that actually takes sacrifice, that takes perseverance, that we're generally not that good at. Devote yourselves, he says to prayer. Let's look at this one more time. Colossians 4.2. Devote yourselves to prayer. Notice what Paul is not saying here. He's not saying devote yourself to self-discovery. Devote yourself to spirituality. Devote yourselves to mysticism. Devote yourselves to a healthy diet. Devote yourselves to exercise. Devote yourselves to therapy. Devote yourselves to counseling. He's not saying devote yourself in all these areas. I'm not saying that any of these things are bad, but what Paul is saying is devote yourselves to prayer. Why? Because I believe that one thing that many Christians in our culture is missing out on is this, is that the direct connection that we have to enjoy our relationship with God comes through prayer. And so oftentimes what's missing is a communion and a calling on and a relationship with our Father that we have with, uh, that we have with prayer. But instead, what we're doing is we're spending our time focusing on self-discovery and self-help and a lot of other stuff that I believe is not bad, but it cannot take the place of devotion in prayer. So Paul is saying that, that, that if you want to be whole, if you want to be satisfied, then you can only find this wholeness in your creator and through spending time with him. That takes perseverance. That takes devotion. Again, People can wake up at 4 a.m. to work out, but ask someone to spend 20 minutes in prayer, and let's be honest, we say, man, that's really difficult. Martin Luther said, if I have a crazy day, I'll wake up three hours ahead of time to prepare myself for that day. That's crazy, too. Again, ask someone to spend 20 minutes in prayer. They can, they can spend hours watching Netflix, but that's really difficult to do. So Paul is saying, as a called, a child of God, as, as you are called, a chosen, as you are called, then call on God and do that with devotion. The second part of the verse, look at this. Be devoted in prayer, devote yourselves to prayer. And then he says this, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So devote yourselves to prayer, but then be watchful. The called call on God with thanksgiving. The called call on God with a heart of gratitude. Let's pause and, 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 and understand this. Where is Paul right now? Where is Paul when he's writing this? Let's look at where Paul is at in some other letters when, when, when Paul writes. In Philippians, when Paul says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. 
What about when he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy and says, I thank God constantly whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. Where is Paul here whenever he's writing this? Paul is in prison. Paul was in prison when he was in, uh, writing the letter to Philippians. Paul was in prison when he was writing the letter to 2 Timothy. Paul is in prison now. Do you know that he has not mentioned that once in this letter and doesn't until after this? What does he say in this letter? You, you can flip back with me if you want, but I'll read it. In Colossians 2, 6, he says, Therefore, as you have received Christ, so because of what you have from Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul says that in Colossians. Now, Paul says in Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called, we're going to get there later, in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul is in prison, which was oftentimes a holding tank for your trial. And they said that the prison uh, called Mamertine in Rome, that the smell alone was punishment enough to be there, that it was a dark and dingy and smelly place. This isn't three hots in a cot. This is not heating and air conditioning. These are, can be gross, dingy, smelly places that Paul is writing from and saying, have a heart of thankfulness. Have a heart of gratitude. What, what else blows me away by this is they're like, let's, let's, let's put Paul in prison to shut him up. What does Paul do? He goes, oh, that's an opportunity for ministry. I'm going to pray and I'm going to write letters that we're preaching from today that God is still using for his kingdom, which is amazing. That Paul from prison says that as you are called, call, but call on God with a heart of thanksgiving. My letter would look so different if I was Paul. Be like, opening letter, I'm in prison, pray for me. Pray I would get out. Pray for food, bring me food, and then pray that I get out. Paul doesn't talk it like that, or say anything like that. It's amazing. Why? Here's the reality. A thankful heart in a devoted prayer life moves us back to a state of truth. A truth of what we deserve. A truth that we occupy God's planet only and solely by his grace. The fact that he's given us air, the fact that he's given us legs to walk on, the fact that he's given us homes to live in, the fact that he's given us cars to drive, the fact that he gives us with uh, fact that he blesses us with so much that we don't deserve. Yet we don't like to say that, but that's the reality. And a thankful heart takes us back to a posture of gratitude. Instead of us focus on, focusing in on everything that we don't have, we actually get to pause and focus in on what we do have that God has provided that we don't actually deserve, but yet he's blessed us with it anyways. It pulls us outside of ourselves. And again, if you are a parent in this room, then you know this for sure, that just about nothing drives you more crazy than ungrateful children. Could someone say amen? Yeah, thank you. Even, even a young one. We, we make statements. <laughs> we do. Like just this last week, I was giving my kids ice cream and, and one of them was like, I don't like vanilla. I'm like, don't eat it. This is not Baskin Robbins. This is the Reeves home. We have vanilla. You can eat vanilla. But you know what my mind was at? I'm like, my daughter is saying she doesn't like vanilla ice cream. There's so many kids in the world that are literally eating dirt. Do you know that when our kids are ungrateful that what we say and what we think is stuff like this, we should ship them off to a third world country. Make them a little bit more grateful. We say stuff like that. Maybe you guys don't. You're much better parents. But we think stuff like that. Because their, their ungratefulness looks 
disgusting to us. It bothers us. We see it. It's very clear to see when our kids are not grateful. Here's the reality. We are not real good at spotting our own ungratitude towards God. We are not real good at seeing the way that we are self-consumed and focused on everything that we are getting and not getting in life. In fact, Jared Wilson displays what a Westerner's prayer looks like, and it's taken the Lord's prayer and made it all about God and about a communal family and made it individualized all about us and everything we're not getting. I would encourage you to read it. It's called Discipleship by Jared Wilson, and it's Grace for the Messed Up or something like that. That, that prayer is on page 111. I would encourage you to read it. That prayer alone is worth reading. Paul says, be watchful in your prayer with thanksgiving. Do you know what else Paul is doing? What Paul is ultimately doing here? This is really important. What Paul is not doing, if you read the the letter to the Colossians, he's not telling you to be thankful for everything that I just said. In fact, that would be really unfaithful to God's word. He's not saying be faithful or be thankful for air conditioning and all these things. Paul is saying that there is one driving motivation that you should actually be thankful for. There is one thing that should trump all other thankfulness in your life. There is one thing that should be driving your gratefulness whenever you pray, and it's this, that when you say God the Father, that that in that moment should humble you because we do not deserve to call God the Father, God the Father, nor do we deserve as children of God to be called sons and daughters. So what Paul is saying in this letter is he's giving you a big, 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 big picture of God. He's giving you a big picture of the divinity of Christ. And our problem is, is what we've done in the church and in our culture is we've produced a very small view of God. And we've made God like the song, what if God were one of us? And so what we've done is we've given our, our, our cultures trying with everything we can to, to, to shrink down God, to shrink down his majesty, his glory, his holiness, and who God is, and get humanity as close to God as we possibly can. Why? Because then we only need to take just two steps to, to, to get into his presence. Just a little tweak to our lives to, to, to clean us up. What, what is wrong with that is there's this massive chasm between the infinite goodness of God and who we actually are. And there's this massive chasm in between their called sin that separates us from getting to have a relationship with God. It's not popular to say sin in church or that you don't deserve things. It's not popular, but it's a reality. And it's a reality that we're losing a big view of God, which is going to give us a really small view of our need for Jesus which is not going to produce a thankfulness in our prayer lives because we just think that we just deserve to talk to God. We're pretty awesome. God should want to hear from us. We aren't thankful because we forget who we are in the story. God's story. Do you know that when I told that story at the beginning of the sermon about myself wanting to wear clothes or look a certain way or have a certain job? Here's the reality. That that is man's oldest trick from the garden. You, you rewind to Genesis 3, to the, to the creation of, uh, of mankind, and man rebels against God, and then man goes, don't worry, I got this. I will fix it. And so they sow fig leaves. And so fig leaves become, in a sense, their God, their trust, and their hope. They get clothes. They make clothes. They put on clothes because they don't feel like they belong in God's presence, which is the reality. So they go, I will cover myself up with fig leaves. Fig leaves are fickle, and they do not provide the sort of clothing that is needed. But man said, I'll fix this. I'll do what's needed to get into God's presence. And in the garden, God said, no, 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 no. I provide the clothes. I provide what's needed for you to come into my presence. 
And from then on, we've seen man's attempt to try to do something to earn favor and get back into God's approval and acceptance through something that we do. That's called religion. And that's called a powerless God where you get to be the hero of the story and it'll lead to destruction or despair. And ultimately, Jesus is not the hero of that story. What does Paul say then? He says this, please turn with me here, Colossians 3.15. He says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called. The Greek word there, kalo, to which you were called, kalo. What does kalo mean? It means this. It means that you were summoned, that you were invited, that you were called. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. The the thankfulness flows from this, that listen, we have two commands so far. Be devoted in our prayer and be thankful. If we're being honest, we say, man, if I'm looking at my prayer life to, 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 to merit my right standing with God, most of us could be honest enough to say, that's not good. Which means this, is that what we need is we need God's grace and we need God's mercy. What we need is a perfect man and a perfect sacrifice. What we need is we need God to call us. And what we need is we need a basis to which we can enter his presence on. Back to my story at the campaign party. The only basis that I should have said is the reason why I'm here is because that man invited me. And for the Christian, the one thing that we say is we don't point to clothes. We don't point to anything that we've done. We point to this. The only reason I'm here is because God has invited me into his family by his grace and his mercy. And I am only here because of everything that Jesus Christ has done on my behalf. That's it. Anything else that you put in the place of Jesus, this, th- this is going to be really reductive and really simple, but I think it's going to be really helpful, is that if you ever believe that there is something that you are doing that is making you a child, that you've missed what grace and mercy in the gospel is all about. You are a child of God because God called you his child. You call on God because you are a child. The reason you get to enter God's presence is not because something you've done last night or last month. The only reason you get to step into the presence of God and call on him is because he has called us his child. Please don't be so prideful to think that there is something that you can do or not do that trumps what Christ has done for you. Last I'll say here, There's people in the room right now that haven't talked to God for a while, that haven't prayed to God for a while, that can't even fathom the thought of being devoted in prayer, much less be thankful in prayer because of this. That what you've equated is that I can't talk to God or call on him as my father because I feel dirty, because I feel shameful, because I feel guilty, because I feel gross. And here's what I would say. Through the gospel, through what everything Christ has done, through faith in him, you're worth to call on God is not proven, it's given. Your guilt that you feel is not worked off, it's atoned for. You call on God because God has called you guiltless in Christ. And last, sometimes we can put trust in our wallowing. Sometimes we put trust in time that goes by because we fear God and fear that he's disappointed in us. Is we need to be reminded that the wrath of God was poured out on Christ and he was punished for you. And therefore, the called can enter his presence because he has called you worthy, he has called you guiltless, and because he has called you blameless. The called are called by God righteous. Last, he says this in verses three and four. He says, 
At the same time, pray also for us that God may open us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. What is Paul saying here? Paul is asking us to all do what we should do for our ministers. He's saying, he's saying, but ultimately God's word is saying, please pray for me and pray for our ministers. He's saying to pray for one another. So important. Calvin said it this way, our prayer must not be self-centered. It must arise not only because we feel our own need as a burden we must lay upon God, but also because we are so bound up in love for our fellow brothers and sisters that we feel their need as acutely as our own. To make intercession for them is the most powerful and practical way in which we can express our love for them. Do you know what Paul is saying here? He's saying, please pray for me as a minister of the gospel. Why? Because Paul is being persecuted for preaching a message that was scandalous, a message of grace, a message of Christ doing everything, a a message of a resurrected Savior. But do you know why else? Because he was preaching to Gentiles, and that was a scandal. In the same way, if you preach to heroin addicts, if you preach and pray for prostitutes, if you preach and pray for addicts, if you preach and pray for everyone that we should be praying for and and loving and giving the gospel to, you will have pushback because people have forgotten that the only reason you are part of God's family is only by grace. So Paul is saying, pray for me. And then he says this, pray that I preach clearly. Don't believe that Paul is praying for an open door to swing open for him to get out. He's praying for a, a, a door to be open so he can preach the gospel even in prison, but so he can do it clearly. What does that mean? That as people and as a family of God, please pray for me. Please pray for our church. Please pray for the ministers in Eugene and pray that we don't shy away from preaching the gospel. Pray that we don't shy away from preaching truth. There is so much cultural pressure to not say certain words, to be PC, to not talk about sin, to not address the word of God. And he's saying, pray, pray for me, pray for the ministers that we not preach clearly in, in the sense of just we're clear communicators, but that we're laying the gospel clearly before people. You know, the Barna just produced something that puts the city of Eugene in the top 100 post-Christian cities in America for 2019. It, it, it gives a list of what qualifies for this, but it's a pretty extensive list and I don't have time to read it right now, but we, we made the list of top 100 cities. And in fact, I believe on this list that we are, let me look and see Portland is 54th and Eugene is 64th ahead of a lot of major, larger cities. What is Paul saying for here? The same thing also Jesus is saying for in Luke 10, pray for laborers because the harvest is plentiful. As a church, we need to be praying for our ministers. We need to be praying for our churches. We need to pray for our city. Eugene is ripe. It needs laborers. It needs people filled with the message of the gospel to go and proclaim that message to our city. One last thing that Paul is saying here is he talks about the mystery of Christ. There's a slide up here that talks about what the mystery of Christ is because I think that's important to put out. He says this, Ephesians 3, 9. Starting eight, to me, though I am the very last of all the saints, his grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And that is not where it is at. But he says somewhere in Ephesians, 
that the mystery of God is that no longer is, is, is the family of God for, for the Israelite family, but it's for Gentiles as well. It says that clearly that the mystery is actually for everyone. And here's the thing. Why is that important? Because unless that we, if we believe that ethnicity is doing something to make us a part of God's family, if we believe that there is anything outside of Christ that is making us worthy to be a part of God's family, then we are missing what Paul is saying, that the mystery is clear that all are a part of God's family because they are called by him through his grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. So we are called to call on God with devotion, with thankfulness, and to pray for our ministers and for laborers. In closing, I'll say this. Three applications that I would ask as a church we take away from this. How can we grow in this? Please take the three-week prayer challenge with me. And it's this. Pray for 20 minutes a day. 20 minutes a day. Do this for three weeks and see what God does with that. For three weeks, 20 minutes a day, and I would encourage you to do this. Take a minute or two to start with Thanksgiving. Run out of things to thank God for. And see what God does with that. So for three weeks, pray for 20 minutes a day. Number two, pray for and with others. And then check in on one another with how we're doing with our prayer lives. That's, an, that's a good thing to ask our brothers and sisters in Christ. How's your prayer life going? But pray with one another. Uh, Brian and I prayed with Logan this morning. He said, hey, it's uh, very encouraging for me to get to pray with other people. This is how the family of God works. If we want to know what it looks like to pray, then pray with other believers who are a little bit further along or mature than you are so you can hear what it looks like and what it sounds like to talk to God. Last, I would say this, and, and I'm going to say this with, with, with as much exhortation as I possibly can to please make this a priority. Starting next Sunday, June 23rd at 9.15, we'll meet right out of those doors that each Sunday there's a group of people that prays before service. We're going to... We're going to make that a priority to continue to do, and we're going to start that at 9.15. We'll, please do this. Please value an, a, a prayer, a devotion to prayer, and by showing up at least once a month to join us for pre-service prayer. I don't know anything more helpful, more beneficial than we can do for people, for our city, for our ministers, and for the gospel than to labor in prayer. That's what Christ said. So if there's one thing you can do, even if it's once a month, please show up and join us in prayer. Man, I love in the morning times when I see people in here just filled it, filling up this room praying. So please, I would encourage you to join us for that.